You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. With me to John chapter 13, John the 13th chapter. Continue to pray as a church body. Um, as I was coming to church this morning, I passed a few folks that were leaving and um, passed a couple of homes where cars were present that I wish they were here. And, uh, and then when I came in and the church meeting house was full, all I could think of was what if they did show up. So continue to pray for your church. Pray for me. Pray for uh, the deacons, our um, planning committees, our building committees that God will continue to give wisdom and to show us how to make a little go a long way. And He can, and we're grateful for that. Well, it's February. What do you think of when you think of February? Chocolate. Well, that's close. I was thinking Valentine's. I was thinking love. You know, as soon as Christmas is over, they take down the trees at Walmart and start putting up little pink hearts and Cupid dolls and all of those things. Well, this month, in the month of February, we're going to be looking at the subject of love. This week, looking at vertical love. Now, everybody knows vertical's up and down. That's love between God and us and us and God. Now, by the way, remember, we love God because He first loved us. He reciprocated love to us only, or we reciprocate love to Him only after we've experienced His love. We experience love, then we express love back to Him. I'm so impressed when I think about the picture of the cross and when the veil was rent from top to bottom. It wasn't rent, rent from bottom to top, us accessing God, but Him accessing us. Love came like the song that just was sung. So today, vertical love, us and God, God and us. Next week, horizontal love, that is, love that we have for one another, us and us. And then the third week, we'll look at internal love, what it is to experience daily the love of God, to wake up every morning. Man, y'all look crowded back there. Um, that are you really like one another, amen. Um, the, the experience of every day looking in the mirror and saying, you are the beloved of God. God loves you for God so loved the world. That's me, that we experience the love of God. And then the last week we'll be uh, looking at what it is to express that love, to take the love, the gospel, and give it out. You know, it's one thing to come in and say, aren't we blessed that God loves us? Aren't we grateful for the love of God? But when we walk through those doors and let the world know that they too are the beloved of God. So that's going to be where, we at, where we're at for the month. Uh, but we begin today just kind of setting the stage and looking at that. Now, how many of you like to watch uh, forensic files and, and crime stuff like that? I just love it. I think it's so interesting, you know? And, and if, you, if you do that, then you're probably well-versed on the subject of DNA. DNA is the identifiers that you and I possess. If I were to drop a drop of blood and I cut myself this morning, I'm not sure what happened, but I got out of the shower and blood was going everywhere and, and it was a, quite a mess. I didn't get hit, I promise you. And, uh, but if I were to drop a drop of blood and, and it was to land here on this red carpet and they were to come in and they were to, to scrape it off and put it on one of those little bitty glass plates and take it off and, and have their analysis done, you know what? They're going to know it's my blood. It's not your blood. It's not anybody else's blood on this whole great big old planet with billions and billions of people. I mean to tell you that's my blood. It identifies me. 
With that in mind, let's think about what it is that identifies us as a believer. Two verses we're going to look at this morning. Verses 34 and 35, John chapter number 13. A new commandment, Jesus says, I give unto you. That you love one another as I have loved you. And that you also love one another. He says it twice. Ashton and Channing, I don't know about y'all, but when I was growing up, my mom and daddy said something once. It was important. They said it twice. It was real important. And he says it twice, back to back. Love one another. Love one another. Continue looking. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. There's that DNA, the identifier. If you have love one to another. It's not just love for one another, but love to one another, an expressive love. Well, you say, well, that's all good. We get that. We're a loving bunch. In fact, when people visit our church, normally their response is, they were a very loving church. But we've got to understand something about love. Love in and of itself is very generic. I love my, my, my little dog. I mean to tell you, Sam is my best buddy. I love my dog. I have to admit, when I'm riding around, the wind blowing through my hair, I kind of love my convertible. And I'm going to tell you here in just a little bit, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to have me a meal. And there are times I love to eat. But when we think about this text, Jesus isn't just saying, have a generic, can't we all get along kind of love. Can't you have some affection from one another? No, no, no. So let's look at what love is. There are four loves in the Bible. Four types of love, four extents of love. Phileo love. Have you ever been to, to Philadelphia? It's a city of brotherly love. Phileo is brotherly love. It's the kind of love that we have for our brothers and our sisters in and out of the church. It is a, a companionship love. When I see you on Sunday mornings, some of you only see one another on Sundays and maybe Sunday nights, and, and you have a love and you enjoy spending time together, and, and there's a fellowship there, and there's a brotherhood there, and that's wonderful. Phileo love, it's a great thing. And there, there's uh, storge love, and it, this is a very, a very generic love. It is just a very routine love, a love that develops over time. Uh, we love traditions, um, we love places, uh, those kind of things, so storge love. And then there is eros love, and eros love is a sensual, a sexual, erotic love. Very clearly in the Bible, there is a place for that between husband and wife. But then there is the Mac Daddy of them all. I mean the king cat of all loves. There is the love that almost defies explanation. There is the love of that wonderful hymn. I love it so much that literally says there's not enough ink in all of the world to pin the extent of this love. There's not enough parchment or enough sky to cast that parchment against to be able to pin that love. I mean there is a love that is so extensive that I mean to tell you not even Conway Tweedy could have sung about it. It's that good kind of love. And it is agape love. Unconditional love. Unwavering love. Undeserved love. Unending and undying love. Agape love is a consuming love. Agape love is a permanent love. It is a love that is not based on what someone else can do for you or any other. It is simply a deep, abiding love. If that makes sense, say amen. All right. Now let's read this verse again, okay? Verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give, one another, I give to you, that you agape one another. 
Now you see, when we read the text, in and of itself it doesn't really jump off the pages. But when Jesus was talking to his disciples in the upper room, he's saying, guys, you've got to get to that point that you love one another like I loved you. The same way I loved you, with the same extent I loved you. To that degree, agape one another. And then he says, because I have agaped you. And then again he says, you must agape one another. And we use the word love so loosely now. You know, and, and I remember when I, was, when I was dating Tiffany. Man, I wanted to hear those three words so bad. And I mean, I loved her. I was loved at first sight. And I told her that. I'm just one of them when God shows me something, I mean, he just makes it real clear. And I'm not going to argue with him. I'm just going to pronounce it, you know. And sometimes that'll get you in trouble. But I kept waiting. And she said, honey. No, she didn't say honey. She said, Cameron. She only says honey now, and that's when she wants something. She said, Cameron, I will not tell you I love you until I do. And at any point in our relationship that I tell you that I love you, you can count on it because I'll mean it. I'm thankful for that. When we think about love, it is something that needs to be taken seriously. And when we look at this verse, we need to understand that Jesus was speaking to these disciples who were having a hard time. They argued and they didn't get along. They wanted to be top dog and they wanted all these things. And Jesus says, guys, you've got to learn to agape one another. Continue looking. Verse 35. This is where we come in. Okay. By this shall all men know that you, for all posterity... You are my disciples if you have love one to another. If you have agape one to another. Deep, abiding, consuming love. Now let's just look in these verses real quick. Let me give you something by way of introduction. Number one, Jesus displays what agape love looks like. He is in the upper room. He is beginning to express what would take place over the next hours. He would have... The Passover meal with his disciples, he would break the bread, explain that was his body, take the cup and explain that was his, his blood. And then he would display agape love in an unthinkable way. When we read the story of the upper room, it really doesn't grab us like it ought to. At one point, Jesus stands from his position at the head of the table as the honored guest, as the royalty among the common. And he stands to his feet and he girds himself about with a towel and he takes a basin of water. And every eye in the room is on Jesus and they're thinking, what is he up to? What is he about to do? And as he makes his way over and begins to bow to them, they realize that he is about to do the unthinkable. He is about to wash their feet. Peter would say, no, not me, not me. Why is that so important? Why did Jesus wash their feet? Some would say because their feet were dirty. He said, well, is this a normal religious practice? Absolutely not. There was in a household of a wealthy person a particular servant who was the foot washer. Okay. Now, here's the illustration that popped into my little mind this morning the first time I preached this. Imagine if you dreamed of being a circus performer. Maybe some of you think I would have been better at that. Maybe you're thinking, no, that's what I really want to do. I want to be a circus performer. So you practice and you work and you, and you get your training and you're so excited and you go and you try out for the circus. 
You want to be an acrobat, you know, swinging up in the top of the tent and all these things. And you get the call, Ronnie, and they say, you are hired, congratulations, you have a job as a circus attendant. You show up for the first day on the job. They hand you a bucket and a shovel. And you realize in that instant, you have the lowest possible job in the circus. If you were hired in biblical times to serve on a person's staff, the possible job would be that of a foot washer. There was none lower. Feet were dirty. They were dirty times. And Jesus bends over and he, he takes off the sandals and begins washing their feet. In other words, he's saying, not only am I going to be a servant to you, I'm going to be the lowest of low. I am going to be the, the, the meekest of the meek. I am going to lower myself and do the very worst and the very dirtiest duty possible. Why? To display agape love. Guys, you've got to love one another like I have loved you, and here's what it looks like. Number two, not only do we see agape love displayed, we see agape love desired. He desires that we love one another, that his disciples love one another. Brothers and sisters, it breaks my heart. Almost on a daily basis, I get calls about churches that, that are splitting and churches in trouble, and they're going through such turmoil, and you just wonder, do they love one another? Is there love that is binding them together? I have four children. The second one turned 17 at 12.08 a.m. this morning. I know, Liz, but you know, that's hard to imagine. 17 years old, Brooks, is today. And you know what? They don't always get along. I mean, sometimes they, they squabble. And sometimes they, they fight. And sometimes each one wants their own way. Especially when you throw the girl in the mix. That just, woo! And those of you that have little children and you think you have achieved something when you get them out of diapers, let me tell you something. You ain't seen nothing yet. But you know, sometimes... Sometimes I'll come home and maybe there'll be a, a, a Hallmark movie on, you know. Or, or, or maybe they'll be all sitting at the table playing a board game. And I walk in and all of my children are getting along. And all of my children are speaking kindly to one another. And all of my children are behaving themselves. Yes, it did happen once upon a time. I want to tell you it blesses my heart. It blesses mama's heart. It blesses the house. It is a good thing. When the heavenly father looks at his disciples, when the Lord Jesus Christ looks at those who are now uh, to, to, to be called followers, he wants to see love, agape love in their midst. He has a desire that we love one another. And then thirdly, it is all about disciples. Disciples. He says you are to have love one to another. It is going to be the identifier. If we were to want to know who you belong to, we would say, we, want, we really want to know who, Teddy, who, who, who does Teddy belong to. So we're going to take a sample of his DNA, and that's going to trace us right back to Mama and Daddy. Did you know that? Jesus says there's to be a love that will trace people back to me. That when people see you, they see me. When, when they hear you, they hear me. When they watch you, they're watching me because we are connected through the DNA of love. Very quickly, let me give you these three things about vertical Love, vertical love, and I won't keep you past time this morning. First John chapter number four. 
1 John chapter number 4, verses 7 through 21. We're not going to read the entire text, but that's where it is. Beloved, John writes, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. I submit to you that a lost person could not fully comprehend or understand biblical love. You just can't. Love in a carnal understanding is a love that is selfish, not selfless. It's a love that always requires something being given back. But biblical love comes from God. It is us receiving love that we pass on. It is us experiencing something between us and God and expressing it between us and others. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Let me say this. You meet people from time to time. And maybe they're they're not friendly. Maybe they're not kind people. Maybe you look at them and say, there's not an ounce of love in them. Well, it might just be that they're lost. It might be that they've never met the author of love. It might be that they've never met the lover of our soul. Here in his love, verse 10, not that we loved God. It wasn't our idea. We didn't come up with this concept, but that God loved us. And how did he prove it? He sent his son to be the propitiation of the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Again, the word agape used in this text. Three things. Number one, what does vertical love look like? Between us and God, what does it look like? Number one, it looks like adoration. Adoration. Have you ever had a moment in your life that you truly adored someone or something? When we think about the word adoration, we think about one who has the greatest esteem for another, one whose heart is overflowing with joy because of the relationship. I mentioned earlier about when I I so wanted to hear my, my dear Tiffany say, I love you, and it took months and months and months and months. I mean, you'd think. I, won't be, I wouldn't have been that hard to love. But I must have been. And I'll never forget, and, and she tells the story better than I, I was in, in my college dorm, and I'd studied, and, and, and that night and, and we were talking on the telephone, and that was before texting and all of the other things. Um, in fact, I think the, cord, the phone still had a cord on it. But anyway, and, uh, and I remember the phone getting real quiet, and she said, Cameron, I love you. And man... A lie. Oh, come on, Mark. You ought to be a little more romantic, sentimental, you know? He's over about the gag on the front row. <laughs> King of romance. You want to tell? Go ahead, girl. We got all day. You want to tell something? <laughs> Man, I took off. I, I, went, I went out of my dorm. I went down the freshman men's hall. I climbed up to the sophomore men's hall where I was forbidden to go. And I went all the way down that. And I was hollering, she loves me. She loves me. She loves me. They called security, thought I was drunk, and I won't. Why? Because the one I adored adored me back. Adoration. It is when you are so excited about a relationship that you want the whole world to know. Adoration is when you're so excited about a relationship that something comes over you that you simply can't contain. Sometimes you might be just driving down the street and all of a sudden you're overflowing with emotion because you realize the one that didn't have to love you chose to love you. That he loved you with all of your spots and blemishes. That he loved you with all your pains and problems. That he loved you anyhow even though he knew everything about you. He loved you. 
and it makes you just overflow with adoration. Let me give you this. How does it work when we adore the Lord? Number one, I believe it's evidenced by our worship. By our worship. You say, now wait a minute, preacher. I really don't like to sing. I'm not talking about singing. Sometimes it might lead you to sing. Sometimes it might lead you to laugh or to shout or to cry. Sometimes it might cause you to to, to holler out. And sometimes it might cause you to whisper back. But worship is that thing between you and God. You know, sometimes we we come up with titles, you know, the worship leader. Praise God, the Holy Spirit is the only worship leader you and I should need. We ought not need a choir to lead us and musicians to, to, to perform for us. I mean, worship's directly between you and me and God. We worship Him. I mean, I I love the story of old Paul and Silas. They didn't have a choir nor a solo nor an eloquent speaker. In fact, all they had was rats crawling up and down their their legs, the stench of death in the air and raw sewage flowing underneath them. Paul looked over and said, Silas, are you there? He said, I think that's me. He said, I don't know about you, but I feel like praying a little bit. Silas said, that'll be all right. You pray and I'll sing and we'll have camp meeting down here in the dungeon tonight. And the next thing you know, scores and scores of people got saved Why? Because they worship the one they adored. I don't know about you. I don't know that I'd have done that that night. In fact, if I'd have sung a song, it'd probably been gloom, despair, and agony on me. But they were singing victory in Jesus. All that he counted us worthy, he placed us in this dungeon tonight. It's a matter of worship. It's evidenced by our worship. We don't have to beg people to worship. I mean, it ought not be something we endure, something we enjoy. Number two. It's evidenced by our witness. When you adore somebody, you can't wait to tell it. I mean to tell you, whenever whenever something comes over your spirit, you just just can't wait to tell it. I I don't have social media accounts, don't even understand how they work. But I understand that a lot of people post a lot of things on there. And I mean to tell you, when something exciting happens, they can't wait to get it out there. And that's all fine and good. I mean, I'm going to tell the whole world about what happened. I mean, let your little grand young and home run. I can't wait to tell the whole world. Your little grand young is on the, the dance recital and got first place. I just can't wait to tell everybody. But how about? The gospel. How about the gospel? You see, when we adore the Lord, it's going to be a natural thing for us to share what we love and who we love. Number three, adoration is evidenced by our work and our work ethic. Why do we do what we do in the church? I wonder about that sometimes. I think, you know, man, people put so much time in. They come and they practice and they work and they meet and I mean, it about make your head spin all the things that we've going, got going on between the two campuses. Something's going on all the time. And you think, why do people do what they do? My prayer is because they love the Lord. They love the Lord and they want to please Him. There is a desire to, 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 to be dutiful and, and, to be, and to be faithful in, in their work. Jesus never called anybody to follow Him that it did not cost them something. There was a reason why Jesus told them they had to leave their nets and follow him because he knew that what was ahead of them was going to be hard work. Sometimes I'll meet young preacher boys and I'll begin talking to them about the ministry and and they start telling me, you know, they've got it all figured out, you know. Had a guy here recently and he he was telling me about what he was going to tell his first church when he went there. I don't think he found one to call him yet, but what he was going to tell them he would and would not do. And I thought, my man. I believe you might ought to go in another, another, you know, that'd be like a fireman saying, well, I'm going to go drive around a red truck, but I ain't fighting fires. It just don't work that way. Can I tell you, if you're willing to get your hands a little bit dirty and every once your heart a little bit broken, God will use you. But realize it's hard work 
It is not for the faint of heart. But you'll make it. You'll be okay. You'll survive. Why? Because it's not about performing and serving other people, but it's about expressing the adoration that I have for my Lord. I work for Him because I love Him. Number two, the first sign of this vertical love is our adoration. But how about this? Our adherence. Our adherence. John chapter 14. Back to the text we began with. John chapter 14 and verse number 15. Another familiar scripture to you. If you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. And then Jesus begins to explain that the heavenly Father will send another comforter. That he's going to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, he says, I expect you to keep my commandments, but don't worry, you're not going to have to do it alone. I like the way those two things are interconnected there. So adherence, what are we to adhere to? His word. Remember, Jesus has said in this previous text, I'm giving you a new commandment. Now listen, sometimes we have the idea that this new commandment negates all the rest of them. As long as I'm loving everybody, I'm okay. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible tells us very clearly that there's an expectation that we adhere to His Word and His teachings. Yesterday morning, went to a basketball game. Leah was playing, and their team's pretty small. The team they're playing, they're a bunch of Amazons, but anyway... And it's really funny because they're little girls and they do have referees out there. And, uh, but they, they don't call things real tight. Walking is only after about five steps. A foul is only if there's blood. You get the picture. And, uh, but there's certain rules. And then what we're trying to do is help these little girls as they get older understand the older you get, you know, you got to learn to play by the rules. Beloved, I'm concerned there are many adults today that, that, that call themselves Christians, yet they've never learned they've got to play by the rules. Now, it's not the rules that will save you, not the rules that sanctify you, but when you love the Lord, there'll be a desire to play by His rules, to live according to, to His standards. And by the way, it is a two-way street because not only are we pleasing Him, but life is so much more blessed and so much more uh, survivable as a believer if you are living within His boundaries. So what does it look like? Can I ask you a question? Of course I can. If I were to ask you today to take a piece of paper and write down five names of your closest friends that you're certain are Christians, you could probably do that. I hope you've got at least five friends that you're certain are Christians. And if I were to ask you, why do you believe they're Christians? You would probably say something like this, well, they go to church. The devil goes to church every Sunday. He does. Uh, you say, well, whenever they're with the guys and all the guys are using bad language, they don't. That's to be admired. Well, whenever they're out with their friends and everybody else gets to drinking, they don't. That's good. But living just by a set of rules does not mean you're a Christian. Okay? The indication of the DNA of being a Christian is love. All right, now now don't jump off the wagon just yet. But if you love Jesus, if you love the Lord, you're going to love one another. But then this next text here in John 14 says, but you'll also keep my commandments. So yes, there will be evidence. Yes, there will be physical evidences and and there will be a difference and, and there will be a difference of lifestyles and choices and all of these things. But it's not either or, it's both and. And the motivation for, for, for your language or for your uh, you know, social practices or the things that you're doing or not doing, the motive is love. It's not just fear. Well, I don't want God to strike me dead or I don't want to get in trouble. I, no, I love Him and I want to please Him. When our children are young, they do a good job at that. You know, 
they make up their bed and they want you to come in there and see it because they're so proud because they know they pleased you. And then at about, I don't know, eight or ten years old, they couldn't you know, care less about that. And their bed's never going to get made. Just going to get back in it tonight. There is something that happens with age sometimes that that desire to please. And beloved, I'm concerned that sometimes the longer we are a Christian, the desire to please our Heavenly Father may grow a little bit weaker and weaker as the days go by. Adherence to His Word. How does that work? Number one, it's a matter of devotion. Devotion. When I use the word devotion, you think, well, I have devotions in the morning. No, no, no. Are you devoted to His Word? We are devoted to certain things. We're devoted to a work ethic. We're devoted to, to family uh, you know, situations. And we're devoted to our kids. We're devoted uh, you know, to, to our, our career. But are we devoted to His Word? Is there a time that we spend growing in His Word? And I don't mean I come to church and the preacher better give it to us so we can take it with us. But I mean personally, I have a devotion, a desire in my heart to get into the Word, that the Word gets into me, that I can better live for Him. Number two, it's a matter of discipline. Discipline's tough, y'all. Discipline is very, very difficult. Nothing is ever easy that will produce great results. I'm at a precipice right now in my ministry. Everybody just looked up here like, <gasps> it just means like at this jumping off place, okay? This, this crossroads of decision. Because right now as a church, we got a lot of things going on, and a lot of things are going really well. And we're grateful. And it would be real easy to kind of sit back and go, I think I'm just going to enjoy the ride for just a little while. You know? Um, make a good living. Thank God and thank Dublin and the Lake Church for that. Got a good family. Everybody's pretty healthy. Watch out for Brooks. If he's coming down the road, he runs into everything he can. Other than that, help him, Lord. But, I mean, life's pretty good. Got a big staff, and they're taking a little bit of the load off. Tommy been working, got the choir filled up. We're grateful for that. Church is full. You build a bigger church, it might not be as full. It might not look as good on Sunday. You know, we, we could just personally and collectively, we could just kind of get comfortable, right? I've never seen God bless comfortable. I've never seen God bless a heart that isn't sold out. So as a believer, we need to become disciplined, saying, God, we're going to give it everything we've got individually and as a church. Thanks be to God for people who literally are putting their lives to the side and saying, God, it's all about you and how he blesses, how he blesses. We've got some elephants in front of us. Do you all know that? Both campuses, some elephants in front of us. And I've been praying the last couple of weeks that God would just show me how to eat an elephant. You know what I found out? One mouthful at a time is the only way you can eat an elephant. And the more people you got chomping on him, the quicker he'll get gone. I'm going to ask you this morning to be thinking about some disciplines in this, up, in this new year that God's blessed us with. I'm going to step up. I'm going to get more serious, more committed. I'm going I'm to be all in. No more spectator. I'm going to be a participant. No more step back and, and appreciate what others are doing. I'm going to be part of it. It's a matter of discipline. Number three, it is a matter of demonstration. I demonstrate, literally, I demonstrate the Word of God every day. How do people know that you're living by the Word of God? Well, they, they don't know the Word of God. The average person today doesn't know the Word of God, but when they watch you, they should be seeing a clear picture of the teachings of Scripture. Do people truly know by our actions that we're one of His? Jesus said, they're going to know that you're my disciples. There's almost an expectation. Now, don't embarrass me, y'all. You are my disciples. You've been called by my name. There is an expectation of excellency here. There's a new commercial on TV, and 
I don't know if it's eHarmony or, or, or dating, one of those websites. Um, there's a lot of them out there. I saw one the other day. It's kind of crude. It was for, um, it was, I, better, I don't want to tell anybody. It was for, it was for, heavy, it was for heavy, heavy set people looking for more heavy set people. I didn't believe it. I like to fell out of the chair. But anyway, don't tell anybody. But all these, I'm like, wow. But anyway, back to what I was talking about. I think I just lost everybody. All right. But there was one of these dating sites, and, um, and, and they kept on talking to people, and everybody said the same thing. I've met someone. You seen that commercial? Anyway, there's this commercial on TV, and, and, and everywhere you go, there's this, there's this man. He looks to be about 40, and he calls his mama, and he says, Mama, I've met someone. And, of course, she's excited, you know, starts asking about grandbabies. There's this lady who calls her father. She looks like maybe she's in her early 20s, and she said, Daddy, I've met someone. Of course, he's concerned. He's cleaning his shotgun. And then this other girl, she appears to be maybe in her 30s. She gets pulled over by the patrolman. And the patrolman is writing her a ticket looking through those dark sunglasses. And she hands the ticket back and she looks at him and says, I've met someone. And he looks back as if he don't really care. Friend, may I say to you that people ought to know that you and I someone, that someone has come into our life and we are different because of it, that we are born again. We're not better. We've been set free from our sin. We ought to be able to tell the whole world without arrogance and without complacency, but somewhere in between just, I am so thankful I've met someone and I want the whole world to know. If that made sense, say amen. If you're bored to tears, say amen. Tough crowd. I only got one more point, and then we're done. There's an adoration, and don't, don't, don't jump off with me just yet. We're almost done. An adoration. I love the Lord. An adherence. I want to be obedient to His Word. Number three, abhorrence. Abhorrence. That's a big fancy word, isn't it? It simply means an absolute hatred. You say, well, my mama told me you weren't supposed to hate nobody. Absolutely. My Bible tells me there's certain things that I ought to hate. I absolutely ought to hate it. So an abhorrence for evil. Romans chapter 12, verse number 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Y'all get that? Remember, let's connect it all. If you love me, keep my commandments. Don't let your love be hypocritical. Okay? Continue looking. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Vertical love is displayed on the things we cling to and the things we flee from. You remember Joseph? Beautiful picture of God's grace. Joseph has been uh, sold into slavery. Just a, an unbelievable tragedy. And then God turns it into triumph. Second command in Potiphar's house. Things are going great every day. Joseph wakes up and says, wow, God is amazing. It seems like only yesterday I was in a pit, left for dead. And now look at me. Potiphar's wife, and let me assure you, Potiphar's wife would have been a fine-looking lady. His high office, he would have had his choice. Came in, tried to have her away with Joseph. You remember the story? 
What did he say? He didn't say, well, maybe you think we can get away with this? Maybe you think we can hide this and nobody will know? Uh Uh-uh. He didn't say, well, let's talk about this. Let's take it slow. The Bible said he got up and he got out. So fast that she grabbed a hold of him and took the cloak right off his back. He didn't sit around and discuss the severity of that sin. He, he didn't sit around and, 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 and sort of, uh, you know, think about the consequences of it. Well, I mean, he just got out of there. Young men, there, there are times you might find yourself in a situation. Maybe you've been invited somewhere and you get there and it isn't exactly what you thought it was going to be. Don't say, well, I believe it'll be all right. Get out of there. Man, you might be somewhere and, and over at the workplace and over at the water cooler and Mrs. So-and-so might come up and might bat her eyes at you. Don't discuss it. Don't try to manipulate I mean, just get out of there. There are story after story after story of what happens when we choose to kind of stick, stick a little closer to sin than we ought to. There needs to be a hatred and abhorrence for sin and everything about it so what does it look like to hate sin let me give you this and i'm done number one to hate sin is just to agree with god on it everybody's got opinions today and you know most people don't agree with god but that don't change the story right i mean you we don't create our own set of morals and everybody lives by whatever they feel like is right and i know that common consensus today god has said in fact the bible says there is a way that seems right into the man that and the ways and the ends thereof are the ways of death that, that we're going to have a difference of opinion with god well he's right we're wrong so part of a, hating sin is coming to the point that we agree with god absolutely his word and, and by the way everybody's sin seems more serious than mine and yours you know that we have pet sins and we see people we say wow Wow, their sin's big compared to mine. I mean, their sin is, is much more glamorous than mine. Their, their sin's much more, much more public or whatever it might be. But we need to agree with God not only on everybody else's sin, but on my sin. If you've been here a long time, you've probably heard the story about the true story. I understand it was told to me as it was. The little lady that was sitting in the pew and the preacher knew her well. She was a sweet little thing. And she loved to dip snuff. I mean, she loved little old peach snuff. And every time he'd go see her, she'd have her pinch of snuff in and she'd have to excuse herself. She'd come back with no snuff in her mouth but peach juice running all down her chin, you know. The preacher knew she liked snuff and he didn't feel hard at her about that. One Sunday, the preacher got preaching about tobacco and talked about smoking. And I mean, just laid it out and just was just plain. And just, boy, I mean, just preached on smoking. Everything he'd say, she'd amen and amen and amen. About the time the service was over, she went out and she said, Boy, preacher, you preached a fine message. You got them people good today. He took a deep breath and he said, Well, sister, now I happen to know. I happen to know that you like a little dip of snuff. Now, what's really all that different? And she said, Oh, preacher, I'm sure it'd have to be a sin to burn anything what tastes that good. Sometimes other people sin seem much more serious than ours. The fact of the matter is, my job isn't to deal with anybody else's sin. My job is to deal with my sin. And I don't know about you, but that's a full-time job. I like the little monkeys. Be careful of eyes what you see. Be careful of ears what you hear. Be careful of little mouth what you say. It's a full-time job to be in agreement with God. Number two, to be abstinent with God. Abstinent with God. What does that mean? 
It means that I realize that I've got to say no, that I've got to abstain, that I've got to withhold from certain things, but I'm not doing that all alone. I've got the power of the Holy Spirit equipping me and enabling me to do that. God will never put temptation, remember this, God will never put temptation before us that we're not, that we're not perfectly able to withstand with His help. The Bible says there's no temptation able to overcome us except that which we allow to. Wow. Number three, it's also a matter of affirmation. Affirmation that we say, God, I want to present to you the very best. We think a lot of this building, don't we? I'm so thankful God gives us a good, warm, uh, dry, somebody says it's a little too warm today, um, facility we come in. We teach the young, young children to, to respect this building because it is God's house. Don't run, don't put chewing gum on the pews, don't drink and eat in here, you know, don't wear your hats, all those kind of things. Because this is God's house. And we understand that in theory. And I mean this with all sincerity. This is not God's house. There's nowhere in the Bible that you will see a building ever referred to as God's house. In fact, the Bible said that God, hadn't, uh, He hadn't kept in the house. He hadn't limited to a house. God's house is sitting in your pew. Beloved, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of God? We'd be careful what we do in this room. We'd be careful what we bring in this room. We'd be careful how we behave in this room because this is God's house. But every morning when we wake up and we look in the mirror, you're looking and I'm looking at, at God's house. I don't know why he'd choose to make his abode, his home in my life, but he has. Romans 12, 1 and 2, the Bible says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How about it? How's the vertical love in your life? As we close in our time of invitation and as our musicians begin to lead us, I want to ask you, have you ever received that vertical love? You cannot choose to begin that relationship you cannot choose to begin that love relationship between you and a holy God. The way that relationship begins is when God invites you, when He demonstrates His love, when He reveals His love, and He invites you to respond to Him. My, aunt, my question for you today is, do you really love the Lord? When I was growing up, one of my favorite programs, I think it came on Thursday nights maybe, it was called The Wonder Years. Winnie and Kevin, you remember them? Oh, Winnie Cooper, she was such a cute little thing back in the day, back in the old days. On one particular episode, Kevin just knew he loved Winnie. And he wrote her a note and said this, Do you like me or do you like me like me? Beloved, I'm afraid there's a lot of people out there that like Jesus. They admire him from afar. They appreciate what he's done. I mean, who wasn't? He opened blinded eyes. He caused the lame to leap. He caused the leper spots to fade. He brought the dead back from the grave. He fed thousands with the boys' lunch. I mean, who wouldn't like this man? But they've never entered into a reciprocal relationship where they've accepted the love of God and they've returned it to him in salvation. 
Would you respond today if you've never done that? Responding to the invitation of God. His love demonstrated on a cruel Roman cross. Would you accept that gift? The invitation's open if God's leading you in a time of recommitment of your life. Maybe a time of responding to the invitation of the open door of the church through membership, through baptism, statement of faith, or transfer of letter. Maybe you join me at the altar. We've encouraged folks this morning at the Lake Campus to spend some time praying. The state of our nation and our world, there's so much uh, that's going on. If ever we needed to pray, it is now. Would you stand to your feet? Father, have your will in this time of invitation, I pray.